So this evening we begin a series in the Gospel of John. And so our text this evening is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, often called the prologue, the opening words for the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, hear God's word as it comes to us in the first five verses. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Gospel of John is unique among the four Gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because those three writers offer a summary of Jesus' life and ministry from the same basic point of view. If you read those Gospels, those three Gospels side by side, you find that much of their material overlaps. They're basically telling the same story with only relatively minor differences in detail. Uh, John's Gospel is not considered one of the Synoptic Gospels because it is significantly different than the other Gospels in how it reports on Jesus' life and ministry. uh, J.C. Ryle puts the matter this way, quote, it contains many things which they, he's talking about the synoptic gospels, says it contains many things which they omit, it omits many things which they contain, end quote. While there are differences in the gospels, all are, of course, equally and entirely scripture, God's word, and and all of it is useful for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We can account, though, at the same time for differences in the Gospels because each author has his own unique purpose or perspective, and this is especially true of John's Gospel. His goal is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, the ultimate goal being that people would believe in him unto eternal life. John's perspective is especially concerned with the doctrine of who Jesus is. Naturally, this perspective affects what aspects of Jesus' life John reports. We see this right away in the opening words here, this prologue to John's gospel. He doesn't like Matthew and Luke do start with Jesus' physical life. He doesn't start with the incarnation of our Lord and his birth from the Virgin Mary. Nor does he, like Mark, start with John the Baptist's ministry as a forerunner of Jesus. No, John takes us back in history as far as you can possibly go. He takes us back into eternity before there was any creation and asserts that the person of Jesus already existed as God. What we have in these first five verses is clear teaching regarding the divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you may have noticed that the name Jesus doesn't occur in the verses we are considering, and yet there is no doubt that the word, with a capital W, is Jesus. And let me offer quick proof of this from the context, as well as from other scripture, so that this matter is settled from the start. Notice, first of all, that the word, according to verses 2 and 3, is a person, a him. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul uses almost exactly the same language. Paul is clearly talking about 
Jesus, the Son of God, and says in verses 16b and 17, this is in Colossians chapter 1, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the Word and Jesus are one and the same person. Furthermore, in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, this word is called the light of men. Later in verse 7, when we get to that verse, we will read there that John came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And all of the Gospels reveal that John the Baptist bore witness to Jesus. So the light of men that shines in the darkness is Jesus. Later on in John chapters 3, 8, 9, 11, and 12, Jesus will teach us that he is the light of the world. And so the word is Jesus. And once that fact is established in your minds, the next question concerns, well then, what is the Holy Spirit telling us about this word? And undoubtedly, the Holy Spirit through John wants us to know who Jesus is and that he is much more than he appeared to be. What John says about the word informs us about the identity and nature of Jesus. That first of all. Second, it is important to meditate on why Jesus is called the word. What is the significance of this name? And clues are found in these very verses. And then third, it is important to meditate on what it means to us that Jesus is here revealed to be the word. So let's begin by considering who Jesus is. What do these verses tell us about the identity and nature of Jesus? Well, first, these verses tell us that Jesus is eternal. The book of John begins at the beginning of time and history, really taking us back to the opening words of the book of Genesis. You probably notice how Genesis and John start out the same way, in the beginning. And what the Holy Spirit is telling us is that when God decided to begin creating this world, Jesus was there. He was there in the beginning with God. Before anything was created, God was there, and Jesus was there. He was with God. And he began the work of creating a material universe distinct from himself. This means that Jesus did not begin to exist when the heavens and earth were created. This also means that Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born of the Virgin Mary. In other words, Jesus did not begin to exist at the time of the Genesis creation or at his incarnation. To make make it absolutely clear that Jesus, the Word, was not himself created, verse 3 adds the important detail and clarification, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. As you think of anything and everything that God created, all of it was made through the word. There's no exception. Nothing was made without him, which makes it impossible then for the word himself to be a created being. The word did not create himself. It's impossible for God to create himself. To create something, you have to exist before the thing you create. And so Jesus... The word existed before the creation of anything outside of God. He is eternal. And not just in the sense of existing forever into the future, but in the sense of having always existed. He is eternal as only God can be. There's a need for clarification and explanation as we consider 
the identity and nature of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Word. It must not be thought here that John is teaching that Jesus' human nature has always existed. There was a point in time when the Son of God took on human flesh. Coming up in verse 14, John will declare, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. To become flesh means that this was something new that hadn't happened before. The Son of God taking to himself a human nature and in that way becoming flesh, in that way becoming a man, we call the incarnation. The incarnation was an historical event that took place in time. We don't know the exact date, but sometime around 3 or 4 AD, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. So then what does John mean by the word? Well, he basically means the eternal Son of God. At the same time, this Son of God became the incarnate Christ, who we know as Jesus. And John is connecting the person of Jesus to the Son of God, the Word. He isn't simply wanting us to know that the Son of God always existed and created the world. There's something much profound, much more profound than that that's going on here. Jesus was there with God in the beginning. Now, not in his human flesh, that would come later, but he was there as the Son of God, the Word. And the point is that the person of Jesus is eternal. From the viewpoint of his divine nature and personhood as the Son, he has always existed. And this is, of course, not the only text to teach that Jesus is eternal. Jesus will pray in John 17, verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's John 17, 5, and Colossians 1, 17 says, And he is before all things. John's introduction of Jesus as the eternal word of God, it's an important addition to the gospel story of Jesus, and it helps to avoid all confusion about who he ultimately is. In the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we are presented with a Jesus who suddenly shows up in time. In Matthew and Luke, he is born and we have details concerning his birth. Mark's gospel begins when Jesus' ministry begins with his baptism by John. And it's not that the synoptic gospels fail to teach that Jesus is divine and therefore eternal. They most certainly do teach that. But John's gospel from the beginning heads off any misunderstandings about who Jesus really is. He is not just the son of Mary, a descendant of David, he is much more than that. And John's gospel right away corrects the various errors that have arisen through the centuries regarding the identity of Jesus. Many false teachers have taught that Jesus is only a man. Others have said that divinity came upon him after he was born. John corrects all of this. The person of Jesus, the word, was eternal. The word is eternal. He must therefore be divine because only God is eternal. So that, first of all, John here is teaching us that the word is eternal. Second, these verses teach us that the word is a, is a distinct person from the Father, yet one with him. Yes, Jesus is true God, which is what John will say next. But first, John says the word was with God. There's a distinction being made between the word and God There must be two distinct persons in view 
if the Word can be with God. The Holy Spirit is also God. But neither the Father nor the Holy Spirit are clearly delineated here. John is simply wanting us to know that when Genesis says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Word was there with God. John is presenting to us really the mystery of the Trinity, of God being one God in three persons. There are distinct persons in the plural, within the Godhead, and yet all are equally God. Altogether, they make up the one true and living God. Whether we understand it or not, and I would argue that no one really can fully understand it, yet the text is clear. The Word is with God. The Word is with the Father and Holy Spirit before the creation of the world. He is uncreated, which is true only of God. Furthermore, that he is with God implies fellowship. It implies the Word is working with God in the creation of the world, and it implies unity. If nothing has been created, and yet the world, the Word exists with God, how can the Word be anything but God? Which brings us to the third lesson of these verses regarding Jesus' identity, and really gets at the most important thing of all about who he is. Jesus, the Word, and Son of God, is the divine creator. He's not only with God, but he is God. Do you see how we are compelled, even forced, by the testimony of Scripture to believe in the doctrine of God as one God in multiple persons? The Word is with God, but He is also God. There's both a distinction and a oneness. Not multiple gods, but one God. At the same time, there are individual persons who are each called God who can, said, who can be said to be with one another. You may be familiar, probably are familiar, with the translation of verse 1 that is given to us by the Jehovah's Witnesses in their New World Translation. If you ever see a copy of the scriptures and it says New World Translation, you know it's uh, the Jehovah Witness um, translation. And uh, in verse 1, they, they have this verse reading, and the word was a God. And... Uh, so they, they put an indefinite article there. I believe they have a small g, but I'd have to re-look um, at the translation. But at least the wording is, and the word was a God. And what they explain is that Jesus was the first creation of God, and that Jesus then helped to create everything else of this world. They say that only Jehovah the Father is God, and that Jesus is not God in the same sense as the Father, but he is God-like. And they also make a point of the fact that John doesn't have a definite article in the Greek before the word God, which they offer as proof of their translation, a God. And there are, as I want to point out, many problems with this interpretation and translation. For one thing, Jesus can't be. It's not possible that the word would be the first creation of God because verse 3 states that all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. If Jesus was made, if he was created, then it had to be through the word. And then Jesus can't be the word because the word is the creator of all things. The text is clear that Jesus as the word is not himself created. And furthermore, the text does not say the word is godlike, but rather God. Now let's say for a moment that we can, for the sake of argument, agree with the Jehovah's Witnesses that the translation a God is legitimate 
If that is the case, then scripture is teaching the existence of multiple gods. There is a God who is distinct from the word. The word is with him, but then the word is also a God. The Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong to twist the words of scripture to say that the word is God-like when it either says he is God or a God. But, of course, the Bible clearly teaches there is only one God. There's not Jehovah and some other God, but only Jehovah God, though he exists in three persons, the second person here called the Word. Additionally, the grammar of not having a definite article before the word God does not require an indefinite article, A, in the translation. When we refer to the one true and living God, we don't always use the definite article. For example, no one would think it odd to say God created the world. Of course, we're saying the one and only true and living God created the world, and, but, but we say typically God created the world, although I guess we could say the God created the world. But it's just not necessary to use the definite article in such cases. In fact, it sounds odd to our ears. When you're talking about something that is definite, the definite article is understood and not always stated. Furthermore, it actually makes sense that John would not use the definite article because if he were to have used it, he would have been saying something untrue. And follow me with this. Suppose he had said the word was the God. That would be like saying the entirety of God is the word or essentially saying only the son is God. If John had used the definite article, he would have been saying that there is nothing of God beyond the person of the word. Then it would have been a contradiction for John to have said that the word was with God. To not use the definite article allows for the intended meaning that the word is fully divine, while also allowing for divinity beyond the word, namely in the other persons of the Godhead, Father and Holy Spirit. And so from every angle, the best translation is to say the word is God. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, quotes Tasker as saying, the word does not by himself make up the entire Godhead. Nevertheless, the divinity that belongs to the rest of the Godhead belongs also to him. End quote. Now, this may sound mysterious. It may seem complicated. But what you need to understand is that the grammar that John uses is perfectly geared by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to communicate to us that the word is divine and is to be called God, while also acknowledging that there is more to God than just the person of the word. The Holy Spirit uses wording that is consistent with the mystery of the Trinity of one God in three persons. And even if John had not straight out said that the word was God, the fact that all things were made through the word would settle the issue. For God and God alone is the creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. Only God is self-existent. Only God creates a material world outside of himself. And again, for the word to have made all things proves he is God. And fourth, we learn here that Jesus is the source of all spiritual life and light. It would be correct to say that Jesus, as the creator, he created the physical light that we enjoy as part of earthly life. He has given life to all of the living creatures of the universe. After all, as the creator, it was the word who said, 
Let there be light. And there was light. It was also the word who called the living creatures into existence. In those opening days of creation. In physical creation, we recognize that light and life belong together. There's really no life apart from light that warms and energizes. Think of a world enveloped in darkness. It would be cold. It would be dead. And in an analogous way, Jesus is the light that brings life. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. For the kind of life that Jesus the Word has for men is directly related to the light of wisdom and understanding that comes through the truth that he proclaims. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus will later say that he is the light of the world and that those who follow him, that is those who listen to him and follow his teachings, will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. That is the light that belongs to life and that produces life. And the life he is talking about is eternal life, the life of fellowship with God. This is the life that Jesus the Word gives to sinners. And notice how John says the life was the light of men. The past tense indicates that this has been an ongoing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever a fallen sinner has ever come to understand the gospel of God's grace and has come to accept salvation in Christ by faith, it is because Jesus, the word, has himself granted them light and life. It's not that Jesus simply proclaims words of light that give life to those who receive them. Jesus is himself the light and life of sinful men. And he saves them not simply by means of a message, but he is the message. Men are saved as they are brought to him. Hopefully you have begun to put together in your mind some of the reasons for why it is very appropriate that Jesus will be called the word, the logos of God. Let's consider first the, the basic nature of words. Words are outward expressions of what is going on in a person's mind. Words are, therefore, the expressions of thoughts. And when you speak words, you are revealing something of yourself. And words are powerful. They affect the people around you. They encourage or they discourage. They enlighten or they lead astray. You can think of the great speeches of the world, how they motivate how they change people's perspective, how they push people to action. Words bring results. And in a similar way, Jesus is the outward expression of God's thoughts. He reveals who God is. He brings God's thoughts, his counsel, his decree into action. Jesus is the word of God in creation, in revelation, and in salvation. He is called the word because he is the creator. Genesis is clear that God created this world by speaking the world into existence. And as we have seen, the word is the creator. When Jesus spoke in order to create, Jesus, as the word, brought the world into existence. And Jesus has been at work really any time that God has spoken. Case in point, there's also the word by which he has revealed himself to people. Throughout the scriptures are recorded hundreds of times the words God said. God spoke to and through Moses. He spoke through the many prophets of the Old Testament. 
And whenever God spoke to his people, it was the Son of God, the Word, the person of Jesus, who was actively revealing God to his people. And not only that, but this is very important, what was revealed to the people of God through the ages was ultimately Jesus. The Gospel of Luke records Jesus walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking about Jesus and how he had been killed. They were discouraged because they had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. They thought that Jesus' death was the end of all of their hope. And Jesus, as he walked along, rebuked them for not believing what the prophets had spoken. Well, what had the prophets spoken that these people had missed? Well, that the Christ should suffer before entering into his glory. And what we are told next, what the Lord says to these two travelers, um, is very significant to Jesus being the word of God. Luke twenty four twenty seven says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of God to his people in the Old Testament was all about Christ, all about the salvation that he would bring. The promise to Abraham of a seed through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed was a promise of Jesus. The son of David who would rule over an eternal kingdom, that was about Jesus. The suffering servant of Jehovah of Isaiah was about Jesus suffering for the sins of his people. The scriptures are about Jesus, and thus he is rightly called the word of God. There's also the revelation of God in the coming of the word when Jesus took on human flesh in the incarnation. He was God with us. Those who have seen him have seen the Father, Jesus will say. He is the word of God, is the very revelation of God come to us. The words that he spoke in all of his teaching were a revelation of God. His coming and his ministry to the sick and suffering sinners of this world was itself a revelation of that God was come in love and grace to our sinful world to save sinners. So that Jesus reveals to us the mind of God. He reveals to us what God is like. In other words, the very coming of Jesus was a word from God that he is a God of grace who is willing to to give sacrificially to save sinners, even giving his son to the suffering and death of the cross in order to spare us from judgment. Hebrews chapter 1 begins with these two verses, these words of verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And I'd stop there for a moment and point out that the Son, the Word, Jesus, was involved even then. Long ago, as God revealed himself and spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. A lot of Jesus' ministry was teaching his apostles, and yet he didn't leave it to chance that they would remember everything that he told them. He told his apostles before he ascended into heaven what he would do through his Spirit. John fourteen twenty six. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All that the Word of God had said to them. John fifteen twenty six. but when the helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, verses 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. John 17, verse 8, Jesus is praying to his Father concerning his disciples. He says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And John 17, verse 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word. He gave his apostles, his disciples, God's word. And what we have in the scriptures of the New Testament are the words that Jesus gave to the apostles. In the Bible, we have the word of God that has come to us through Jesus, speaking now especially of the New Testament, through his apostles. So then what does this mean for us? That Jesus is the word means that he has the words of eternal life. It means that there is salvation in no one else, for Jesus has the very truth of God. What he has told us in his word can be trusted, to be correct, to be in line with reality. What Jesus has then told us in his word about our sinfulness and how it makes us unable to save ourselves from God's judgment, that is true. What Jesus has told us about God's willingness to save sinners out of grace and mercy is also true. That Jesus is the way to be saved is true. The gospel is about Jesus, and the gospel is true. And when Jesus offered and died on the cross, he was the blood sacrifice that God himself was offering for us. And when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are trusting in the word of God that Jesus' person and work will be accepted on your behalf as the basis for you to have eternal life. That Jesus is the word means that Jesus is God. As God, he can save you by doing for you what no mere man could ever do. And as God, he must be reckoned with. If he is God, what he says is true. What he demands of you must be obeyed or there will be judgment. Verse 5 of our text says, The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The truth of who Jesus is shines into our dark world of sin and unbelief. And to say that the darkness has not overcome it is to take John as saying that the world has not been able to take hold of the word so as to be rid of it. It implies that there's antagonism against the word of God as it pertains to Jesus and the gospel because people are in darkness. And yet there's another possible translation, another possible interpretation here that focuses on the idea that darkness is not laid hold of the word spiritually by accepting it in faith. And so there are those who would say that the translation here should be, and the darkness did not appropriate it. The darkness did not appropriate it. The idea is really to lay hold of it. Is it to lay hold of it in faith or is it to lay hold of it to be against it. That's the idea. And uh, people have wrestled with the meaning here. 
But I think that that latter idea is probably the more correct one. And the darkness did not lay hold of it. It did not appropriate it. The idea is that many who are in darkness do not accept Jesus. They do not appropriate. They do not accept his identity as the word of God. They don't accept his work as Savior. They don't accept that he is the bringer of truth. As Jesus will later say, they reject the light in preference to darkness. And the result then of this light that is rejected is judgment. So the call of the prologue of the Gospel of John is to look to Jesus as God's word in your life. Is he your God? Is Jesus your source of truth? Is he your source of light and life? Ultimately, ultimately your calling is to recognize that by nature you are in darkness. So you must accept his words as the light that issues into the life of eternal life with God. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, your very son, who was there at the very moment of creation, creating the world. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who as our Savior, because he is your son, is able to save us, is able to offer a sacrifice that is truly acceptable in your sight and truly able to atone for our sins, to bear our sins fully and completely and to come out on the other side and to be our resurrected Savior. Father, we pray that we would not be people of darkness who do not appropriate the light of the Lord Jesus, but rather just the opposite, that we would see that in him is light and life, that we would recognize who he truly is, that he is your eternal son, that he is our creator, that he is the source of all life and light. Father, we pray that as we study these words as we contemplate them, that we would, Lord, see so very clearly how the wording that you use is so carefully chosen in order to to convey the truth to us in such a vivid way. Um, Father, we pray that you would keep us from all errors concerning the person, the identity of Jesus, as though he is only a man or became divine at some point. Um, Lord, Father, we pray that we would recognize that Jesus is our God, that he is your eternal son. And uh, Father, we pray that even as we struggle perhaps with the doctrine of the Trinity, that we would recognize that we do not have to fully understand it to, to know that your word truly teaches it. So Father, may we submit to your word, may we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as our God, as the source of your words. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.